we recognize his greatness, we recognize his superiority, and, and one of the greatest things that we discover that you have actually experienced in your life, or you may not have experienced in your life, is the fact that he is a God who provides. He always has been a God who provides, he always will be a God who provides. Whether it be deliverance for his people, if you have a look at the scriptures, there we are, sorry, Psalm 111 verse 9, he provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. He provides food for the faithful. I've got a typo up there. It's supposed to actually say he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Or whether it be a provision of our assurance in direction, Psalm 18 36, you provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. The very same God who provided in the, in the wilderness for the people of Israel, the, the very same God who delivered Israel from bondage within Egypt, the very same God who sent a, a, a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day to lead and direct his people into their promised land. He is the same God whom we follow now. The same God who provides food, whether it be physical or spiritual. The same God who provides deliverance, whether that be physical or spiritual. The same God who provides guidance, whether it be physical or spiritual. And today, as we look at Hebrews chapter 4, what we discover is one of the greatest things God provides, which I think we, well, no, I think I, I think I don't fully comprehend and don't fully understand. And because I don't fully comprehend and fully understand, I miss out on all the things that God desires to bestow upon me. And what that thing is, is the very same thing that Israel failed to understand and, 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 and believe as well. That one thing is called rest. That one thing is called rest. And it's really interesting because we have a very interesting perception of what we understand rest to be. We understand rest from 21st Australian, 21st century Australian perspective as sitting back and doing nothing. That's the idea of rest. That we're chilling on the beach, feet up, book on our lap, drinking our hand, swinging in a hammock, looking like Craig, just chilling. Kids drowning, wife cooking, but Craig's just chilling. That's what we understand rest to be. But Craig's a far better husband than that. He, he, he doesn't let his kids drown, just lets his wife cook. So, what I'm going to ask is, because I'm picking on my brother Craig at the moment, I'm going to ask my brother Craig to come up and read. So, we're not actually going to have it up there. If you've got a Bible, please turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Thanks, Craig. All right, Hebrews 4, 1, 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who, now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God had said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. 
For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who entered God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Thank you very much, Craig. If you'd just like to bow your heads, we'll open on a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is quick and powerful, able to split apart, Lord, divide asunder the, the soul and the spirit, and discern the thoughts and intents of our heart. And as we look at your word this morning, we ask that by your spirit, you will take your word and you will teach us. You will challenge us. You will convict us. Father, that you will stir our hearts to be and to enter what it is you have bestowed upon us in your son, Jesus Christ. So please help me to speak slowly and clearly this morning. Please help everybody to be attentive to your spirit and to your voice this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, of all that we've just read, the one verse that I actually want to jump off from this passage is actually verse 11. From this one verse, we're going to focus on this and we're going to jump back and forth throughout this particular passage. Because there is so much, there is so much in there. Because we are told within the scriptures, that we can learn from things that have taken place within the Old Testament. We can learn from the people of, of Israel and the example that they had set. Actually, if you read in the scriptures, we are told that there are examples in order to follow. For example, Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So there are good examples to follow. How to be a good husband, how to be a good father, how to be a good employee. There are examples. There's wonderful things when you have examples ahead of you. But then again, you also have other examples that you can learn from, things you can avoid. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, talking about Israel, they were written down as warnings for us. Things that we are, ought to avoid, traps that we, we've got to make sure we don't fall into. Because we are a very interesting people, aren't we? We'll sit around, we'll see somebody do something, and maybe a week or two later, we'll do the exact same thing. We are guilty of falling into the same traps that other people do, and we have the gall to call ourselves bright at times. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, we read this. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. See, this is that example right there and then in the second part of that verse. So that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This particular text, this particular passage we're looking at in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, is that second, it's the latter example that we're looking at today. In order to avoid falling into the same trap, in order to avoid tripping up over the same things that they tripped over, Now, I don't know your context. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know whether you're working just like heaps 
and, and there's a lot of pressure on at work, whether you're a retiree looking after grandchildren, whether you're a, a husband or a wife that are just discussing things, whether you're a young person looking to the future and thinking, what am I going to do next? Irrespective of that, these are principles that I want us to be able to draw from and apply to our own individual context. You know why? Because our God is personal. Because our God knows each and every one of our needs and meets each and every one of those needs according to where you're at and brings you to a place of more and deeper intimacy with himself. So, we want to be aware that we don't want to fall into the same example of disobedience. So what I'm going to do with this one verse is I'm going to exegete it for you. An exegete is basically when you take one verse, you take a little bit of a time, and you break it down. That's all it is. And my prayer is that as we break it down, you'll find some applications that I might not even mention, but God will speak to you where you are right now and say, oh, that's me. That's me. Okay? So the first two words we've got is this. Let us. Let us. This begins with the reference that the writer is making to his readers. It's an inclusion. It's an, it's, it's, it's an allowance. Let's. It's an allowance. It's saying, let's all get together. It's, it's basically referring to all those people who are followers of Jesus Christ. All those people who have come to this, this intimate relationship with him. All these people who have recognized who they are and humbled themselves before a great God who loved them so much, he died for them. He says, let us. I think more often than not, we forget how personal our God is with us. More often than not, we think we have this generic thing where we can sit down and say, well, if God spoke to me in a certain way, then God must speak to everybody in that same way. Well, no. Each and every one of you is an individual, and God knows that. Each and every one of you has a different context that you're in, and God knows that. And and what's amazing is that God meets people where they are at. This is one of the things that I, I really want us to be aware of. In John chapter 21, I believe it is, Peter is walking with Jesus. And while Peter and Jesus are walking, those famous questions that that Jesus asks of Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he goes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then walking further along, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he goes, Lord, you know, you know I do. You know I do. And then the third time Jesus asks, uh, Peter, do you love me? And at that, Peter becomes very upset and says, oh, Lord, basically saying, Lord, why doesn't he keep asking? You know, I've said, I've said, I, I love you. And so he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, etc., etc., etc. What does Peter do? Peter looks over his shoulder, sees someone walking behind, one of the other disciples. What about them, Lord? What about them? Jesus basically says to him, don't you worry about them. Don't you worry about them. You be concerned with what I'm asking of you. You feed my sheep. You care for my children. You lead how I've called you to lead. Let those people, I will deal with him when I will deal with him. That's the intimacy that we share with Jesus Christ. So often we sit down and we say, oh, but, but Chris isn't doing this, or, or but Brad's not doing that, or, or, or Vivian's not doing And we spend all our time picking at what people are or are not doing that we completely lose sight of the fact, well, what has God called you to do? How has God called you to serve? How has God called you to minister and to reach out to the people within this body here or to, the, to your next-door neighbor? See, don't be so concerned with what other people are or are not doing. You be concerned with how Jesus is calling you. That's the focus. 
That's where it starts. Because when you stand before God, he's not going to sit down and say, why didn't you do this? Oh, because Terry said. Oh, because Pam did. Oh, because Kenny didn't. That's not an excuse. This is the call. And that's why I like the, the intimacy of these first two words. Let us. Let us come together. And so it's not just for these Hebrew Christians. It's for, for all believers. It's for all of us to, to pay attention and to take heed of a message that is about to be imparted. So he says, let us. And that's all he starts at. And I think that's really cool. He says, let us, therefore. Let us, therefore. And you all know this. Basically, it just means because of what, just, what has just been said. Because of what's just been imparted. But because of the lessons that you have just heard. And this is where we find really, really exciting. Because of what? Because of this. The writer knows his audience. The writer knows that he's speaking to Hebrews. The writer knows that these Hebrews know and understand their history, know and understand their culture, know and understand their mindset. They know, the writer knows that the, the people that he's writing to understand the festivals, understand the feasts, understands all the traditions that's found within the nation of Israel. And because he knows and understands this, you know what he does? He goes back to their history to impart to them some amazing truths, to challenge them in their relationship with Jesus. And this is where I think we, are, we have more in common with the Hebrew church than we think. They understand and know everything about themselves. They were raised from it as a young child and brought all the way through. You know what we have? We have the Old Testament. Easy access to the Old Testament where we can read and study what God has done through the nation of Israel. We have the example of Israel in our hands right here and right now that we can learn from. And at any time, how many of you have more than one Bible in your home? How many have more than five? Yeah, yeah, we have, we have a lot. We have a lot, don't we? We have a lot. And because we have so much, because we have so much, we're like these Hebrew Christians. This writer knows that as he's writing this, he goes, ah, these people will know about Moses. And so he uses Moses as an example last week. These people know when I make reference to the, the wanderings in the wilderness, oh, they know that. They know why they, did, why they failed and why they failed to enter in. They understand that. And because he's writing in such a way, he's sitting there saying to them, because you know this, I'm going to use this for you to learn. This is the reason why Paul says in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 1, he says, what advantage has the Jew? Well, much in every way. I think it's in Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Verse 2, much in every way. The rest of verse 2 says this. First of all, all the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. So the Hebrews as a nation are based on, built upon the divine, all things divine. They have access to their past that they can draw from at any time. They have the complete, we have the complete word of God at our fingertips, fingertips to learn in exactly the same way. So he says, therefore, in this context, the writer is directing his readers to the failures of their nation, to the failures of their ancestors. 
to the failures of their forefathers. Have you ever been told this? Have you ever been told this when you were growing up? You should know better. Hands up if you've ever been told that by your parents. Yeah, that's a terrible line. And the thing is, I've used it as a parent as well, which makes it even worse. You should know better. You see your children do something, and you've just told one child off for doing it, and then it's like another child does the exact same thing. Come on. Why'd you do that, Emily? Oh, I didn't know. You should know better. You saw me tell off faith. You should know better. You're older. You should know better. And we, we, we do this, don't we? And, and we justify it. And this is what happens here. He's basically saying to them, you should know better. And at their failure of entering into this rest, and, and what he then does at the beginning of chapter 4, right down from verses 1 through 10, he basically connects three instances related to why Israel failed to enter into a rest. He uses three Old Testament examples. And like I said, rest in the Bible is different according to rest, according to the Australian uh, mindset. It's completely different. For the people of Israel, the rest God offered Israel was the promised land of Canaan. Read Deuteronomy 1.1. There it is. Read Deuteronomy 1.1 for that. When it was time to move on and actually enter into this rest. So, here we go. I've got several rests. The first one I call the standing rest. The standing, the standing rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. See, this standing rest is a rest that was there to be claimed. It was there to be taken. It was their inheritance by right, by divine right, this rest, this land was given to them. But remember, it wasn't given to them so they could do nothing. Because even when they would have taken it, they still had to do certain things to maintain that rest. So there's a standing rest that is still there. This meant that there was, that there was to be work involved in attaining that rest in an effort to reap the blessing and benefit of God's provision. Now, please don't misunderstand. I am not saying you have to work for your salvation. I'm not saying you have to do good works to enter into God, to, 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 to be accepted by God. The reason why I say that is because Israel's salvation took place when they were delivered from Egypt, when they were delivered from bondage, when God placed his hand through the ten plagues, delivered them out, led them over the Red Sea and brought them to the border of the Promised Land. That's their picture, or that is the picture of salvation. They have gone from slavery, they have gone from, from, from being in bondage, they have gone from being under the mastery of Pharaoh to now being liberated and being brought to the edge of the Promised Land. That's a picture of us before we became Christians. That we were enslaved to sin. We were bound by our lusts and desires we, we were caught up in our own selfishness. And, and then when Jesus came and, and, and challenged us with our view of who he is, how he, we, we find out the gospel message about how he loved us and died for us and then rose again the third day. And that when we understand that, what happens? We are taken out of darkness. We are, we are liberated from that bondage of sin. 
We are, we are set free from our desires. We, we are set free from the mastery of sin within our lives. And now we are brought too to the edge of this promised land. But like verse 11 says, we have to make every effort to enter into that rest. But here's the thing. The rest is there. The rest is there. That's the standing rest. It's still waiting for us to enter into. But this work to be done, this work is to, one, trust God's promise. That's the first thing you need to work at. This is what Israel had to work at. They had to trust God's promise. God had promised them this land. They had to trust that. Two, they had to believe God's provision. God said that he would not only had given it to them, he said he would actually enable them to claim it. And, and three, they had to rest in God's power. They had to trust, believe, and rest. None of this has anything to do with them. All they had to do was trust, believe, and rest. That's what they had to do. That was the work that they were called to do. And you know what makes it really interesting? Is that trusting, believing, and resting is all relational. It's all relational. It's got nothing to do with earning anything. It's got nothing to do with paying for anything. It's all relational. I trust Jono because I know Jono. I believe Jono when he says something. Jono's going to do something. I believe that he's going to do it. When I rest, for example, I've, I've driven with Jono. Jono has driven me somewhere. And what's really interesting, I feel completely safe driving with Jono. He is a very responsible driver. I've driven with Ken, Julie's brother. Don't ever drive with Ken. I, one camp, one camp, I remember, one camp, like my children went with Ken. It was pouring down with rain. We're going down to Wollongong, I believe, or we're driving down, and it was pouring down with rain down this hill. I'm doing, responsibly, like 95, 100 kilometers. 130 kilometers past with my children in the car. Boom! Ken goes driving past. I'm like... I'm going to kill you, Ken. <laughs> but like when, I'm driving with, when I'm driving with Jono, I have no issue with that. Jono, is, he, is, he drives like an old man. It's brilliant. No offense, brothers. It's just, I, 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 that sounded really rude. But it, it's brilliant. And another person, Pastor Ben. Pastor Ben, I've followed Pastor Ben once, driving a car. Pastor Ben sticks to the speed limit every single time. He is a very, very diligent driver. When it says 60 kilometers, he drives spot on 60 kilometers. When it says 80 kilometers, it's spot on 80 kilometers. Not one kilometer over, not one kilometer under, it's like boom. And it's like, yeah. So I know, I know when I'm following Pastor Ben, there ain't no speeding ticket for me at all. See, see, what, see what I mean though? But when that happens, when you rest in someone else, that means you're just completely reliant on somebody else's ability. That's it. And their capacity to do what's said. That's absolutely amazing. And it's all relational. This is, what, this is what it's talking about here, is that it is all relational. Israel failed to trust God's promises. They failed to, be, failed to believe God's provision, and, and they, they, they couldn't rest in God's power. Why? Because maybe they didn't actually know Him as good as they thought they did. Even though all they experienced, even with Moses in front of them, even with all the, I mean, think about it. They saw 10 plagues take place to deliver them from Israel. They saw the Red Sea part before them. They saw God provide manna in the desert, quail. They saw water come from rocks. They saw all these miraculous events take place. And, and they get to the edge, 
And it was like all they had to do was, Lord, I saw what you did before. I know you can, but I don't trust you to get me over the line. That's what we fall into. And this, in verse 2 of the same chapter, is what the writer refers to. It says this, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. So that's referring to us now, referring to the Christians. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, the good news of deliverance, the good news of sanctification, the good news of, of liberation, the good news of, of renewal, of regeneration, the good news of, of, of a change of citizenship, the good news of having your name written in the book of life, the good news that you are loved by God and cared for, the good news of the Spirit of God dwelling within you. We have had that same message proclaimed to us or preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. So when you look at all that they experienced, it wasn't of any use to them. Why? Because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. The way the King James puts it, because what they knew was not mixed with faith of those that heard. That's where they failed. One simple word, unbelief. That's all it is. They failed to enter that rest that was still standing because of unbelief. They chose not to. You want to know what faith is? Faith is the action stemmed from what you believe. That's what faith is. When you have faith in something, it is not true faith. You don't truly believe something unless you commit yourself to it. It's as simple as that. I, story, I, I, I use this, I remember doing this at church many years ago, so 10 years ago now, the first one I did. For many years, they, they had, they had uh, at, at this campsite, this really big like hall, it was a barn, and they tied a, a rope with a five kilo weight at the end of the weight to make a pendulum. You guys know what a pendulum is? That's the thing that swings, correct? Right. So the gentleman said to us, the law of the pendulum states that due to wind resistance and air friction, the weight will never return to the point from which it was released. I went, okay, that makes sense. So he goes, Joe, come here. I went, okay, stand here. I stand there. He puts the weight by my face and he goes, Joe, do you understand the law of the pendulum? I said, yes. Do you believe the law of the pendulum? I said, yes. Okay, so you understand that if I release this weight because of wind resistance and air friction, it will not come back and smack you in the face. And I'm like, yeah. So he goes, all right then, Joe. When I do this, then when I release, you will not step away. And so he releases it. I could hear it. And it comes back, and it stops here. And I didn't flinch. It made me look awesome. But it stops here. And everyone's like, it was in front of, in front of like 200 kids. And everyone's like, yay, clap, 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 clap. And I'm like, yeah. And he said to me, Joe, what you have just demonstrated is faith. Faith. Your action basically exercised what you believe. That was based upon what you believe. Now, here's what's really interesting. Five people did it after me, and five people all stepped away. They failed to demonstrate faith. You know what happened after that? It made me look more awesome. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. All right. So, their failure, their failure to act on that, their failure to act on what they believe, to demonstrate faith, is what caused them to miss out. It's what caused them to fail to enter into that standing rest that was there for them. It was guaranteed. 
And now, as crazy as that might sound, it's like going to the movies with a movie ticket and you're sitting in, the, in, in A5 and going to A5 and thinking, that's not my chair. I can't sit there. Even though you have the ticket right there, you paid for it. It is yours for that two and a half hours. But you don't take it. That, that's what we're doing. That's what Israel did. And this is what we do. What we do is we fail to, 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 to trust God's promise. We fail to believe God's word. We fail to, to rest in God's power and what he has given us. And because of that, we miss out on the rest God has intended. That rest that is waiting there for you. That's the standing rest. The second one is what I like to call the complete rest. The complete rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter enter my rest. Now, I read in the scriptures of the work God has done for me. And how everything within the scriptures is what God has done. You go all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to Genesis. You look at the very first chapter of Genesis and you look at the the six days of creation. What did God make on the first day? You tell me. What did God make on the first day? Pardon? Light. Light and darkness. He separated light and the darkness. That's exactly right. What did he make on the second day? Skies above, oceans beneath. Waters above, waters below. Third day. Land. Yeah, no, see, right now people are like, um, yeah, land, land and the oceans. What did he make it? That's the easiest way to remember. When, he, when he, he lays the first three foundations on the first three days, next three days he fills them all up. So what did God make on day four? Sun, moon, stars. Day five, birds of the air, fish of the sea. And, and, and the vegetation on the ground, I think it was. Day six, he makes animals. Animals, and finally finishing, he makes humanity. He makes humanity. What, what I really like, firstly, is this, about this complete rest that God's given us. One, what part did humanity play in creation? Nothing. Nothing at all. And I think they, they didn't do anything at all. What's the first thing? What is the first thing humanity got to partake of when they were created? They got to create they, they got to partake of day seven. Resting. That's it. That's it. Everything else was done. And when God made man, man, God said to man, come partake of the rest I have given you. Enjoy my blessings that I've provided. Enjoy my provision that I have given unto you. Enjoy it. That's, that's exactly what God had done. Watchman Nee makes that observation. Watchman Nee is a great author. I would, I would encourage you. But Adam and Eve were created, he says, to enjoy the blessings of God's provision by abiding in the rest God had given them. Nothing earned, nothing paid for, everything provided to be enjoyed. That is the complete rest that God had given humanity. Now, this is the idea the writer is emphasizing to us, that today's rest, the rest of salvation, comes not from what I do or don't do, 
It does not stem from my efforts or hard work or what I possess. It comes from accepting who I am as a sinner and trusting and believing what Jesus has done for me. That's it. You know what your role in salvation is? Nothing. Nothing at all. We are called to believe and receive. John chapter 1 says that to as many as believe in him, he gave the power or the right to become the sons of God. And when you read through the Gospels, you read the likes of this, that it was in, as in creation, everything had been done for them, so too in salvation, all has been done for us. It was Jesus who lived perfectly, not me. It was Jesus who declared the Father, not me. It was Jesus who was condemned, not me. It was Jesus who was mocked, not me. It was Jesus who was scourged, who was humiliated, who was abused, who was nailed to a cross and insulted. It was him, not me. It was Jesus who bore the penalty of death for my sin, who bore God's wrath, who bore God's judgment, who bore God's anger for your sin and for my sin. It was not me. It was everything. It was Jesus who rose again from the grave and conquered death. And it was Jesus who was ascended up into heaven, seated at the right hand of God to make intercession for us, not me. What's my role in salvation? Nothing. It's all on him. In salvation's rest, the invitation is for all to come, believe in Jesus and what he's done, and to enter the grace, the, the, the rest that is found in his saving grace. That's why he makes reference to this whole idea of creation, that on the seventh day he rested, because this is where we are to be now. I, I know there's a lot of theological truth, but that means now in Christ, what are we? We are made new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17. What are we now in Christ? We have our names written in the book of life. Revelation 21, verse 27. What are we now? According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The rest and salvation that causes us to look forward and to look up to our ultimate rest with the glorification of our bodies. Uh, one, one commentator said this, the final dimension of God's rest. I don't know if I put it up there. No, I didn't. The final dimension of God's rest will come when believers are united with Jesus Christ for eternity. Uh, the last one, the last one is what I call, oh, I didn't actually put the slide up there. I must have accidentally deleted it. I apologize. But the third one is what I call the glorifying rest, our ultimate goal. This final reference of rest is in relation to Joshua. And if you have a read of, of verse 8, 9, and 10, we read this. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. What I like about this, and when I say a glorifying rest, is what we've got to look forward to what we've got to look forward to in Christ. The, the rest that's, I guess you could say, when we are free from the flesh, when we are free from sin, this is what we're looking for. If you know this is where you're going, then you know that's where you want to end up. Then, as the verse 11 says, you will make every effort to enter that rest. So he says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. If, if, 
that effort is believing, trusting, and resting, that means you and I must take the steps within our lives to nurture believing, trusting, and resting. We have to. I have seen people, I have seen people change their whole diet to lose weight. They make every effort to lose weight. I, I have seen people, I have seen people make every effort to get in shape physically. At Borkham Hills, I have seen people who, who go and study. Now, there's nothing wrong with studying. They study so hard so they can get the ATAR they want to do the degree that they desire. They make every effort to achieve that particular goal. You can look at your own life and see in your life the efforts and the steps that you have taken to ensure you achieve what you want to achieve. We are told within the scriptures now to make every effort so that we might enter into that rest, that standing rest, that complete rest, that glorifying rest. You know what that means then? That means because we understand that Jesus is better than everything else, whether we are willing to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us, whether we are willing to lay those things aside, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, whether we are willing to actually lay aside the ways of our flesh, to, to die daily to ourselves so Christ might come forth, that we might be conformed more to the image of, son, of, his, of his Son, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. But that comes down to you as to what you want to do. You already know, and this is what's crazy, and this is why we have the same condemnation upon us than the Hebrew Christians do. The same condemnation on us, the same condemnation on us is that we have and know what the standards are. We have and know what God desires. We have and know what God wants and the calling He's placed on each of our lives. We have and know this calling as men and as women, as children. We know this calling as fathers and as husbands. I don't have to tell you again. We have this as mothers and wives. We have this as, as children, as brothers, as sisters, as an employee, as an employer. We have all of these set in place before us. All set in place before us. And what God says to us is this. If you want to make every effort and fall in line with what this says regarding how you're supposed to live, you know what it starts with? It starts with trusting it starts with believing, and it starts with resting. And you make that effort, and it's, it's almost like a paradox. I've got to work to rest? Well, it, it depends on what it is that you're working towards. Are you working towards nurturing a relationship? Are you working towards becoming more intimate with your God? Are you working towards relying more on Him and less of yourself? Because that's the effort that he's called for us to make. To protect our relationship with him. My wife is a very wise woman. I love my wife dearly. She is a very wise woman. And, and she has heard over the years that we have been in ministry, uh, various people in various contexts ask various questions. How do I do this? As a mum, how do I do this? As a wife, how do I do that? As a, as, a, as a worker, office worker, how do I do this, etc., etc., etc. And my wife's response to them is always the same. You know what the response is always? Get your relationship with God right. Walk close with Jesus. Be intimate with Him. That's always, it's always the answer. Why? Because if you're intimate with Him and understand the grace 
that's been bestowed upon you as a husband, you know what happens? You find you become the husband God's designed you to be. Not because you're saying, I'm doing this, this, and this, and having a checklist of things, but because as you spend time in the Word, God does the work of changing your heart. And so where it's not a chore to do these things, it happens naturally. That as a mum, it happens naturally. That as a, as, a, as a parent, it happens naturally. As a, as a spouse, it happens naturally. That, that's, that's the reality. This is, this is the rest that is talked about because this is the rest that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Andrew, Andrew, when he, he gave a title to this, was God's true rest. And that's exactly right. God's true rest is found in the person of Jesus and in the relationship you share with him. This is why he is so much better than anything else. You can nurture a relationship with Moses, but that's not going to transform your heart. You can nurture a relationship with an angel, but that's not going to, that's not going to do anything long-lasting. You, you can nurture a relationship with a brother or sister, and, and you'll find that you'll be great. You'll be great while your brother and sister are around. What it is, is having Jesus being the one as you rest in him and allow him to bring about that change to be the person God has made you. That's where it all starts. As basic as that sounds, that's where it all starts. If you turn to Psalm 91, that was the psalm that Mike was sharing, sharing from this morning, which I thought was really neat. I'm reading from the ESV. But in Psalm 91, it, it is it is a wonderful psalm talking about the rest, the splendor, the greatness of, of who God is, of, of who Jesus is, and, and what he's planning to do within each of our hearts. In Psalm 91, we read this. Pardon me. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. This, this is whom we find our rest in. This is whom we trust whom we believe, and whom we rest. The, writer, the writer's point was that spiritual restlessness can be cured only by God's prescription for rest. Although an earlier generation of Israelites disregarded God's rest and suffered the consequence, God's rest is still available through Christ, but it is a matter of urgent and eternal significance and must be embraced by faith. God's rest is both present and future. And missing God's future rest means that you'll be missing out on eternal life. Missing God's present rest means that you'll be living a frustrated life of spiritual, spiritual frenzy. Those who struggle to gain salvation through their own efforts have not found their rest in Christ. That's what one commentator said. 
But this is the reality, isn't it? I just want to close that one thought. God's missing God's present rest means you'll be living a frustrated life of spiritual frenzy. If you if you have found, if you have found you have you're being frustrated, you feel like you're not getting anywhere or anything like that, then maybe, just maybe, we've decided to step away from God's rest and what God's invited us to, to try to do things ourselves. Just maybe. But with this, I want you to think on the rest God has given you. And those three words, those three words I want to leave with you. Trust, believe, and rest. Um, I'm not going to call the, the, the worship team up. I'd like us to pray. I'd like you to pray for the person next to you or pray for someone else. You can get around in a group or whatever. Just pray. Just pray. And then after a few minutes, I will close in prayer. Thanks. Okay, while, while you're praying, and before I close in prayer, I just have a quick announcement. I will ask for you to pray uh, after this and to keep our sister Catherine Lim in, in your prayers. Uh, just got a message from David Lim that uh, her dad passed away last night. Uh, Praise God, he, he knew the Lord, so he he's gets, gets to partake of that ultimate rest now in the presence of our Savior. Praise God for that. And, and he's obviously run the race, and God is pleased. He's completed the work that God had given him to do and decided to call him home. That's a great blessing to be a part of. But pray for Catherine. She's flying down to Melbourne this morning uh, to be with the family. Uh, so um, that's the reason why the limbs aren't here this morning. Uh, so if you just like to be upstanding, we'll close in a word of prayer, and then we'll share in morning tea. Our Father, our great God, the God who imparts rest in your Son, we thank you that we have heard your message this morning and ask that you will help us to make every effort to enter into that rest, that we will take the necessary steps within our hearts and within our lives so that we might truly experience and enjoy the provision that you have given unto us. Father, we thank you for our sister Catherine. We ask that you will comfort her at this time. Thank you for calling her dad home and, and that he gets to partake of that glorious rest in your presence even now. Father, we thank you that we have a living hope, that we serve a risen Savior, and that our life is not in vain because you are risen, you are alive, and you intercede on our behalf. Oh, we praise you, our God, our good, good Father. Thank you so much for calling us to know you. Please help us to trust in your promises, to believe in your provision, and to rest in your power as we move from here and be changed from glory to glory for the glory of God the Father. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. 
Unto you be glory in the church, both now and forever until the end of the age. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.